sight. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. What was that that I hear? I heard a lot of you shouting at your radio about 20 minutes ago. Did you hear that, Jason? People were at home or in their cars going, Ashley, the grassy weed that Mike has was Poa Annua. Ashley, get a grip. Come on. I feel really dumb for I just totally missed that. It sailed right over my head. And all of you yelling that about Mike and McDonough's call were absolutely right. I'm really sorry I missed that. Poa annua in Bermuda grass. My goodness, how can I forget? So the seeds that are produced in the spring, they want the cooler weather before they start sprouting. Hence, we have the winter weed, Poa annua. So, or, you know, that's hence we have it in the wintertime. And you definitely need uh, a pre-emergent to to combat that for sure. So what we want to do is use something like Scott's Halts or something like that. The pre-emergent herbicide is like only apply it to really well-established Bermuda, which I know Mike has. Late summer, early fall, that application that we were talking about that occurs like in September, early October for Bermuda grass, that pre-emergent application is so key to fight annual bluegrass when the temperatures are maybe, you know, 75 and and cooling off. Second applications can be applied. But keep in mind, once you've already seen it, a second application eight to 10 weeks later, like in November, that's not going to do you any good because a pre-emergent you want to apply before the seeds germinate. And they do. They hang out all summer long and wait for that drop off, that little bit of cooler weather to go ahead and germinate. So, yes. Annual bluegrass, Mike. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> Thanks to all of you. I know a little about a lot of things. And some mornings, I just it goes right over my head. I'm blonde. I miss it. I'm really sorry about that. All right, more great calls. Really excited to talk to Charles in North Fulton County calling from Roswell this morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? <laughs> Doing really well. Thanks for calling. Well, thank you for your help. Um, I've got a Myers lemon plant that's probably six years old. And last year, we had... 20 something lemon tree cool. lemons on the on the tree or the bush and only 3 this year. And I guess my question is uh about three things about it. One, I know I need to cut it back and two, um should I put it in a larger pot um and the pot that is in the plants probably about three and a half, four feet tall. Mm-hmm. And it goes out in all directions, like, you know, a road map. <laughs> and, um, and then the pot has got about an 18-inch circum- uh, diameter at the top of it, and it's about 15 inches deep. Okay. That's one question. And the third question is, if I do repot it, should I change the soil in the pot or you know. Okay. So basically so, that's, that's so you, what I'm... You've got great questions and you've obviously kept it pretty happy and, and I don't think that is any sign of any problem that your yield was maybe 20 last year and 3 this year but yeah pruning is going to really invigorate that introducing new soil and some uh, fertilizer regimen as well. Let me ask you though Charles because I have not grown a Meyer lemon but I'm very familiar. Do you move it outside and do that whole really good, you know, stewardship. Oh, of, absolutely. Yeah. In and out in and out of the garage. In and out. <laughs> so how many good months do you get outside? Would you say like four, maybe? Oh More um, than that. longer than that. I mean, um 
we just don't let it freeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've made it really happy. And then when it's inside, where do you have it? In the garage, and it's got, got um, pretty good light. Um, it's got windows in the garage door and then windows in the um, garage itself. So it's got um, pretty good light, but, it, you know, it's not like being outdoors by yeah. any means. Perfect. It's no, I, I like keeping it warm. I like other folks hearing that just so they can kind of know how to be successful, you know, if it's something they've wanted to try. So let's talk about pruning. If it's three and a half, four feet tall, that's pretty standard. You don't want to really do a whole lot of pruning on any Meyer lemon that's shorter than that. That's pretty well established. So first, as with any tree or anything like that, prune out the dead or damaged or diseased stems that just aren't really doing any good. So that's number one. And then once you've done that, Charles, then go to the the task of pruning back longer, wispy stems that are just a lot smaller, probably as small as your finger or smaller, because they're not going to be sturdy enough to, you know, hold any of the the weight of the fruit that it bears. So start with the dead and diseased, more of the wispier ones, anything like that. And then the smaller and medium-sized stems, when you start going at that, Pick on the ones first that are crisscrossing inside the plant, okay? Because that's obviously, they're rubbing against each other. Airflow is not as good. Um, there's not going to be room for fruit production where they're they're too tightly wound together and crossing each other. So when you start with the medium-sized stems, look really carefully, stand back and see where they're crossing and all of that. It's going to open up for airflow, going to get more sun on the leaves that are there, reduce disease and all of that kind of thing. Um, And with citrus trees, too, what we want to think about, and a lot of fruit trees as well, um, having it smaller at the top and bigger at the bottom because that does allow for that sun to really come in. So is that kind of, you said, it's growing like a road map, but are are the longer branches typically closer to the bottom and then shorter at the top? Um, Not really. I mean, they're more more or less at the top. And, you know, they just just are everywhere. But um, in... And I've had some I've had some fruit um, yield off of the plant mm-hmm. with branches that are less diameter than a pencil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. Those are just the first ones that we're going to want to cut back. Aside from any that just don't look okay. Very so good. The, the initial pruning is the ones that crisscross in the middle and the ones that are less diameter than a uh, pencil. Yes, yes. I would take out the little ones first because there's not a lot of love lost there. And then second uh-huh. priority, when you do start moving to the small and medium-sized stems, taking out the ones that cross first and just keep stepping back, you know, and taking a look so that it doesn't become lopsided after a while. And as far as transplanting it, do you think it's root-bound? Like, are you seeing some, you know, roots come out the, the drainage holes or roots come up above the soil? No, um, and I, 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 that's the question I'm asking you. I don't know, is it is it root-bound or not? I mean, it's been in there for six years in the same, in the same pot or maybe longer than six years. So one way we would know is, is, like I said, if the roots start coming up above the soil or out of the drainage holes. And another way is if it's wicking up water really, really quickly. Um, so if, if you just feel like you're watering it a lot more now than in a year or two past, that could be a sign that it's definitely root bound as well. So if you can lightly, you know, kind of get in there with your fingers and feel around, because um, I, I hate transplanting things 
you run the risk of transplant shock, which, uh, you know, I mean, not a lot of us are going to do, but I always wonder with something that I just really, really love, am I going to make it worse off? But if you do need to transplant, just a general rule of thumb, if you said this was in an 18-inch pot, then only take it up to maybe a 20-inch pot, not something much bigger at all. So only an inch or two up. And then, yeah, absolutely keep the soil that's in there, you know, around the root ball and things, but introduce new soil, make sure, you know, you're fertilizing when you do that too, light fertilization. Um, but that'll make it pretty happy. So just kind of scope it out, dig your fingers, really kind of push them down deep into the ground and see if it feels really tight, but you yeah. may not need to transplant it. Okay. Well, that's, I think in what you're saying is that, uh, uh cutting it back or the pruning is the critical thing here. Yeah, I think so too. Like I said, I, I wouldn't, you know, panic though. Oh, I had 20 lemons last year and only three or four this year, but pruning just a good, you know, general habit. And if it's something that's top of mind to you right now, go ahead and a good time to get it done. And obviously now would be the time, you know, once most of the, the fruits ripened and done and all of that, it's a good time to do it. Yeah, we've already eaten two of the uh, three that are on there. So Wonderful. we've got one more to go. So it's time <laughs> to prune it. <laughs> <laughs> that that one prize lemon that's left, make it good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for your help. And then one other little quick question about the pruning. Um, how far back towards the main stem or the um, stems that have a diameter of like a big size toe or thumb or something like that, how far back do you trim those ones that we were talking about go all the way back to a joint like where where oh, another the joint yeah well or so like you could be taken off about a, a maybe a 10 inch piece of limb then yeah when you're taking off the small and medium size ones that's okay to do but you also take back when i say a joint yeah where it meets the branch but also if there's a just as sturdy of a limb that's coming out the side maybe you know four or five inches in you can take it back to that as well you can take it back to a new growth point but never just cutting in the middle of a stem and leaving it so just always take it back to something whether it's a new little branch off the side or all the way down to some intersection yep 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 i got you got you whether it be 369 or uh, 278 right what do you mean Highway. by? Oh, <laughs> oh, the travel well, traffic reference. I didn't even get it. I was like, what is three sixty nine? Yeah, that runs up north. That's east and west. Absolutely. <laughs> Wait, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> your route should be one forty or four hundred. What are you talking about? You're in Roswell. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm really right. glad you called. If you think about it, Charles, hit me up on Facebook on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page. I would love to see y'all get in there and take a picture of the before and after. Um, not not as a critique, just I want to see you know how well shaped it's going to be and how happy it's going to be. So if you think about that, give me a before and after picture. I would love it. So fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. Scooter in Kennesaw, grape tomatoes, and Brian in Kennesaw. I have good news taken out of holly bush, and you just don't want it to come back. We'll get right to you after this. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. Weather updates so you know how to plan your weekend. The weather mixes sun and clouds today. Highs only in the low 40s and overnight lows below freezing. So cover those plants. And tomorrow, much the same. High around 48, low around 33. Green and Growing. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. 
right, keeping things pretty simple for you. Just winter cleanup time in the lawn and the garden. You're starting to see some things pop up, so you want to make room for new spring plants and growth. Pull winter weeds, add mulch, and rake the leaves out of the way. Number two, change the oil and any equipment with a four-cycle engine. And also, check for loose screws, anything that may be wrong with your tools. Go ahead and get that fixed now. Sharpen the blades. There's tools for doing that yourself, or you can take them and have someone else do them. And also go ahead and have your uh, loppers and your hand pruners and things pruned, or uh, sharpened rather, if, if they need it. And number three, add winter and early spring bloomers to the landscape. Right now, you've heard us talk about Edgeworthia, Camellias, Pieris, or that's Lily of the Valley shrub. All of those things set to bloom very soon if they're not already. And I'm already seeing hellebores bloom, Lenten rose. So it's a good time to go ahead and plant some of those shrubs like camellias and edgeworthia if you want something with some winter interest in it. All right. Running through the calls this morning, talking to Brian in Kennesaw. He's up next. Good morning. Hi. How are you today? Hey, Brian. Very good. How about you? Good. Um, so I took out a holly this last year uh, because I wanted to replace it with something else. And now every couple of weeks in the summer, I just see the holly uh, sprout back up <clears throat> from the roots. Right. And I've tried spraying it with Roundup. I pull it, and I just wasn't sure if uh, you had any suggestions on how to make it go away for good. Now, something that I've used, um, and we talked about crepe myrtles and the suckers of those coming back forever. It, it's maybe not just a one application and done kind of thing, a product that you'll use. You may have to use a couple of times. Uh, Bonide, their brand of Stump Out. Or yeah, stump out, okay. stump killer. Um, the active ingredient is that, and that is triclopyr, and that's also something that's very effective at controlling viney plants as well. Um, but that's got an applicator that just directly to cut stumps, and that's going to slow any of the um, sprouts and all of that from coming back. Spectracide makes one as well, like a stump remover. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that one's granule, um, and you can drill holes into what's left of the holly. Put the granules down there, and it kind of works from the inside out to kind of kill that stump. And just <laughs> with crepe myrtles, too, when I took those out, I know you've got holly, but I would just kick it or hit it with a shovel every time I walked by. I mean, it took me probably two years to finally weaken that enough to where I could just pull out gotcha. the mass that was left. Yeah, but those products will help accelerate it a little bit and read the label as far as, like, how long to, to wait between applications if you do a second and a third, but give it at least a few weeks to see, you know, any results there. Okay. That works for me. I appreciate it. Very good. Thank you so much, Brian. I like when it's just kind of a one and done quick and easy answer and hopefully it works. Sometimes we have to work a little harder at, at some things, but I totally understand. Um, speaking of a holly bush too, I have seen really, really great hollies around town, whether it's Burford hollies or, or anything else. I mean, just so many of those bright red berries right now. So I'm going to post a picture on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB. Uh, we've got a photo album. I kind of carried it over from Walter's Lawn and Garden Show. Um, and that way you can kind of identify along with me what you're seeing right now. You check out this Highway Horticulture photo album and you're like, oh, I have seen that. I've seen that flowering tree or shrub or plant and I didn't know what it was. So I, I kind of try to keep up with that for you guys, identify it and then tell you uh, what it is and what it likes. So hopefully that'll be of some help. Jason, do I have about another minute or so? No, that means we don't have time. So I'm definitely going to talk Scooter and Kennesaw, I promise, growing grape tomatoes in a sunroom. Steve has called in in Snellville. Is it okay to leave grass clippings on the yard 
or should he mulch them? So all of that, I've got a great answer for you, Steve. Some really good science behind it. That was one of those things that was debated amongst experts um, in the industry years ago, and we finally all kind of came to a consensus about that. So, And then we've got Allison Smith from Pike Nurseries coming up to talk to us about a special plant that they want to uh, to help you with in your landscape. You go and pick it up and plant it. It's something I've already mentioned, and you'll be really happy when you plant it because it's going to reward you with a lot of, lot of flowers. So we'll be right back on Green and Growing. You're listening to WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. What do you have planned for your weekend? I hope it's something fun, but I hope it's something that you can stay warm. It's going to be chilly today. Welcome to Green and Growing. Good morning. Thanks for listening. If you're just catching the tail end of the show uh, on WSB almost a year now, I have replaced the Lawn and Garden Show after 26 years of Walter Reeves hosting and now revamped the show just a little bit and I still have a great time taking all of your garden calls and garden questions really good ones today and the same as the lawn and garden show for years and years this time of the show 8 30 every Saturday we talk to our friends at Pike Nursery they're always giving you some kind of inspiration or some kind of idea something to do in the landscape the products and plants that they're featuring that they want you to check out and this weekend is a good one so I'm joined by Allison Smith she's the manager of the East Cobb location good morning Allison Good morning and congratulations on an awesome first year. Thank you. Oh my gosh, who would have known like a pandemic at the beginning of a, a gardening <laughs> show? <laughs> people I know. are reaching out like, I'm a new gardener. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of new at this, so I'm going to give it my best shot. But yeah, it's been fun. And it was a huge year for you guys. You had to close for just a little bit, but you came back stronger than ever. And I'm so proud of how your business and so many others have kind of had to flip a little bit on your heads, you know, to offer like curbside pickup, local delivery, adapting to customers' needs and still making the business work. Well, we love what we do and uh, we're so passionate about helping new and experienced gardeners just beautify their lawns, um, build their houseplant arrangements and, and establish their landscapes. So it's been an exciting year for us as more and more people have really focused on, uh, on gardening. So we love it. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of new customers and, and I've got a, new, a lot of new gardeners calling as well. So we're, we're opening Pandora's box in a good way of just opening this gardening world up to so many people. And this is a good shrub or hedge to talk about camellias because it's one that everyone knows what it is. Even if they didn't know it by name, they've seen it in the South for sure. And the way that I'm able, this is stupid, Allison, but this just is how my brain <laughs> operates. This is the way I keep it straight. Okay. So there's the Sanqua and Japonica and we always have people call. They don't know the difference. They don't know what type they have. So me, my, my simple brain, Japonica, I remember that that blooms like January to March. So you've got the J because it's like the winter camellia. I've got the Sasanqua. So that one's like fall blooming. I've got a white one. It looks gorgeous. It's like a, mm. a fried egg almost because it's a white yeah. flower with that bright yellow middle. So two different very popular varieties and kinds of uh, camellias. And what do you want to tell us about them? How would you sell someone on, yes, you need a camellia in your landscape? Well, we love camellias. They're um, wonderful in southern yards. 
they have evergreen, dark, greasy, uh, dark, glossy uh, foliage year round, mm-hmm. and um, and they're deer resistant. So I know that's a challenge for a lot of our um, a lot of our gardeners out there. Plus, they bloom at a time when we really want to see blooms in the yard. They start blooming in late fall. Uh, the Sasanquas, the one that you have, starts blooming. You probably noticed it back in uh, November and December, yeah. and they'll bloom through January. The Japonicas start blooming in January, and I've seen them bloom March to April. Not only are they evergreen, as I mentioned, but you get these robust, voluminous blooms in reds, in pinks, in whites, and in corals throughout your yard. They also do well in shady areas. They need a little sun for those blooms, but they prefer at most morning sun, right? Mm -hmm. They don't like that afternoon sun, mostly uh, when we get into the hotter months of summer. But they're just so pretty in the yard when everything else other than our pansies and our cabbage and kale is kind of quiet when our azaleas have kind of gone to sleep. We've got those big, pretty blooms that just light up any landscape. Almost, I I mean, I'm going to use this term kind of loosely, but an understory plant that it can do well under taller trees, you know, wood lines and things like that, because that'll give it the protection it needs from that hot afternoon sun. Absolutely. And the max height um, for most camellias ranges at about 10, maybe 12 feet over its lifetime. For several of them, we also have lower-growing camellias that are kind of spreading, like our shishi gashira. That will max out at about five feet, but it'll spread eight feet wide. I've got clients who use those as hedges around their yard that are stunning. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and when we plant these, we obviously prepare the hole, pick the right spot and all of that. But y'all have a great line of fertilizers too, like Dr. Earth, where it's very easy if you're a beginning gardener and you don't know what type of fertilizer to use, Dr. Earth has it right on the bag for you for azaleas and camellias and all that, right? That's right. We love the uh, acid-loving Dr. Earth uh, fertilizer because it's organic, slow release. It feeds it consistently. It also supports that root establishment. Um, camellias are so versatile because you can also plant them in containers. Hmm. For for gardeners who want, you know, a little pop on their front porch, camellias are a great option. You can get you want to get a large enough container, something probably about 20, 24 inches in diameter, to allow for the root space. But because they're slow growers, they will sustain well in a container for several years, and then you can transplant them into a pretty place in your yard. But they're wonderful, attractive um, porch plants. Or even if you just want to put a container out at a focal area in your landscape by your Adirondack chairs or your fire pit, that's great as well. I had not thought of them as container plants, but you're absolutely right. Since they're slow growing, that's completely fine. And then and the fun of having then a new yard plant when you need to put it out in the yard. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Y'all have got a huge variety. Give me some of the variety names because I think some of them are absolutely gorgeous, Allison, and you can almost visualize it as you say the names. Absolutely. So in our Japonicas right now, we've got uh, Dad's Pink, which is a beautiful four to five uh, inch wide pink flowers with little red stripes. They're stunning. Um, There's Jack's, which is also a Japonica. It's got rich pink, like formal double flowers. 
and then the White Empress, also another japonica. And that's got semi-double flowers with a little bit of yellow stamens. Again, you were talking about yours that almost looks like a little egg. It's kind of that look. Yeah. Um, as, as far as the sanquas, which, are, which still have blooms on them right now, we've got the standard Yuletide, which a lot of people are familiar with. It's really striking red flowers with bright yellow stamens. Uh, the Shishigashira that I mentioned earlier, it's got hot pink flowers. That one stays a little lower. And the Mini Yuki, which has got a frilly white flower. Those are just a couple examples. We have loads of varieties, and they're really stunning. Those are awesome names. And Yuletide, of course, yeah, a good Southern favorite, a good Southern staple That's as well. right. This is a good month. You, I'm glad you pointed that out, January. You still have some of the Sasanquas blooming, and mm-hmm. now the Japonica are starting too. So a lot like Camellia Month for sure in Georgia, January yes. is. So, all and right. just for those, guard, for those gardeners who are hesitant about planting in January, now's a great time to get camellias in the ground. It really is. The only time you want to avoid planting camellias is when we're getting really into those hot months and, and they struggle uh, to get in. So as long as you've got that good drainage and, and you dig it uh, the hole the correct way, which all of our associates can, can walk you through how to plant, um, you can get them in right now. I love it. And go ahead and pick up Dr. Earth Azalea and Camellia Fertilizer, too. That's just always good, an acid-loving fertilizer to have on hand for so many of the things we have in our landscape. Well, Allison, how can folks find more pike locations nearest them? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. You can also always visit us at our Pike Nursery website. That's pikenursery.com. But also be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, where we always have garden inspiration photos and stories as well as timely garden tips. Perfect. Well, folks will be seeing you at the East Cobb store. And thanks for taking time out this morning to call. I can tell you're really passionate about camellia. Such a fun plant. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Ashley. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You too. Talk to you soon, Allison. Thanks for stopping by. Pike Nursery at this time of the show every Saturday morning. Really appreciative of their knowledge. All right, back out to the phones we go. Scooter in Kennesaw. Hey, finally get to talk to you. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. Hey, so what are you trying to grow in that sunroom of yours? I'd like to grow some grape tomatoes. Okay, now have you already done them and had success, or are you wondering if they're going to work? No, I'm wondering if they're going to work. Uh, do I need to put them on a trellis or or some kind of uh, climbing thing? It's a good idea to have them staked up, you know, a tomato cage yeah. or something like that. Absolutely. Now, is this sunroom, though? What what part of the house is it on? Like, how much sun it's does on it the get? Upper, it's on the upper floor, and it gets sun in the morning and the afternoon. Okay, because any uh-huh. grape variety is going to need at least six to eight hours, or grape variety, any uh, tomato variety and t- tomato plant's going to need at least six to eight hours of sun. So as long as you think it gets that, they could do very well. Yeah, it does get that. Yeah, okay, good. And you don't have to uh, to fight the birds off or anything like that, having it in a sunroom. So yeah, be prepared. You know, have a large enough pot, I would say at least a 16-inch pot, 18-inch pot, something fairly large, and you're going to be ready to stake them up when the time comes. Or you could go ahead and just have the tomato cage, more of the conical shape to probably work best indoors. Um, Go ahead and have that in there. That way you're not fighting and struggling around the plant. Just let it go ahead and grow up that way, and hopefully you'll have um, some grape tomatoes to enjoy in the summertime, Scooter. I'm really glad you called. Check back in and let me know and save some tomatoes for me. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. Steve in Snellville. Good morning. Welcome to Green and Growing. Good morning, Ashley. Very much appreciate you taking my call. Yeah. I think I've got an age-old question, <laughs> which a lot of people will 
also want the answer to. Mm-hmm. Um, to bag or not to bag, I have a mulching lawnmower, and uh, I've been bagging for years, but I've been told I really don't need to. Any, what's the suggestion, and what is normally the best thing to do? That's so funny because this is one of those things that my husband and I fought over once I actually started doing some <laughs> yard work. He always would mow, right? And he would he would just not bag it. And when I started mowing, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't stand that. I'm going to bag it and make it all neat and tidy. But then I'm making three or four trips out to the wood line, right, to empty the bag. And I thought, this is for the birds, man. I, he's, he, he gets it done in half the time because he's not having to stop and empty the bag. But... The benefit, not only it makes it easier on us not having to bag, but those grass clippings give nitrogen back to the soil. So that's kind of grass cycling, leaving it there and adding that nitrogen and making the soil a little more rich, a little more fertile. It is really good for it. Good to know. And I'm I'm getting to be a geezer, so the extra work of bagging it is really getting to be a chore. Absolutely. I very, very much appreciate the answer. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Steve. And, and it is an age-old question, and the folks for so many years who insisted on, you know, bagging them, that, that wasn't necessarily wrong. I think there was a concern with, you know, if there were any herbicides or anything, um, the grass had been treated, you know, if, if that was going to be any have any kind of nominal effect on going back into the, the grass still in the ground. But, no, I mean, it, it the herbicides kind of wear off and all of that, not—, not any problem at all. So grass cycling, something that provides the lawns with, like I said, that that nitrogen-rich, almost a fertilizer. It adds organic matter to the soil, which is always good. It's not going to stifle out the grass blades that are there. Plus, like Steve just mentioned, it, it makes it easier on you. It reduces the stuff that you're having to leave out at the curb if you have to put all your yard waste out for the uh, trash company rather than throwing it back in the woods or something. And it's just a little easier on your on your mower, your mower's not having to lug the weight of those wet, heavy grass clippings behind it. So maybe a little bit better fuel efficiency with the gasoline in the mower. Thanks for the call, Steve. We're going to end the show with Sue in South Jersey. Could it be? Sue's not in Georgia. But a question about strawberries. So we'll end the show with that. A few more minutes of commercials, and we'll be right back to Green and Growing on WSB. Weekend weather sponsored by Finley Roofing. A mix of sun and clouds today and tomorrow. A little overcast. A high only around 43 today. A tad bit warmer tomorrow. Like highs not even reaching the 50s though. And sun comes back into the picture Monday, Tuesday. But it is going to be dry. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. We're going to talk to Sue about her strawberries, and she's got a problem with them in just a minute. But first, the top three things. Number one, winter cleanup time for the lawn. I'm glad Steve called about those grass clippings. Some of you may be mowing your fescue. I have heard mowers in my neighborhood. That's not at all uncommon. But pull winter weeds, add mulch to beds. You can add it on top of existing mulch. That's okay. And rake leaves away. We're getting ready for spring. And you have some greenery starting to pop up out of the ground from some of those bulbs and some of those perennials. Number two, add winter and early spring bloomers to the landscape. We just talked to Allison at Pike about camellias, something great to plant right now. Edgeworthia, which puts on the flowers before the leaves and it smells great. 
Pieris, and I'm already seeing my hellebores. Uh, hellebores are great evergreen. They have green leaves throughout the entire year, and their flowers are just now coming on. And for number three, I got the help of Mary Kay Woodworth, Executive Director of the Urban Ag Council. She's weighing in on how to propagate one of these favorite plants, Edgeworthia. Edgeworthia chrysantha is my favorite plant in my entire landscape. And I've got one I've had about 25 years, and I have made cuttings of it and sent it to so many of my friends throughout the southeast. It's so easy. So what I do is I'll go to the plant, and around the base, you'll find suckers growing, very thin shoots. And I dig around, usually with a, a Japanese knife I use or a small shovel, and just dig down and just go straight down in the ground and try to get part of the basil root. And you can pull it up very, very slowly and carefully, and you'll stick it in a pot of planting soil. And I will put it in an area for probably a year that has filtered morning sun and shade in the afternoon. By the second year, it's grown a a little bit, but then it's been in great shape to plant in the ground. An easy plant to propagate, and it'll just give you years of joy propagation. Love it. It's easy on a lot of plants that we just want to multiply or share with others. Thank you so much, Mary Kay Woodworth, for checking in this morning. All right. As promised, Sue, are you calling from Jersey? Yes. Well, I'm so glad to have you. Welcome. Welcome south. Good morning. Oh, I'm so glad you took my call. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on with the strawberries? Okay. Last spring, I put in a rather large raised bed of ever-bearing strawberries. Okay. They did beautiful, big plants, lots of suckers. Just beautiful. And right toward the end of the season, they started to develop leather rot, mm-hmm. which, which comes from a, some sort of a fungus, fungus they were picking up from the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my question is, they have wintered over with a few leaves. Now, now, what do I do? Do I cut them all back and spray the ground and put peat? Okay, so yeah, what you're referring to, leather rot, also phytophthora. A lot of people know it as that phytophthora, so that infects the roots. It's crown rot or root rot. Um, and when that, when the, the when the fruit, when the strawberries come in contact with that on the soil is when the berries are prone to seeing that rot that you see. It is a fungus, like you said. So first of all, a good, just a good practice, Sue, I hate to advocate chemicals unless we get to that step but mulching keeping the fruit up off the ground and minimizing kind of the rain splashing back up is going to keep the berries from picking up that fungus Um, good soil drainage because root rot phytophthora is brought on by soil that stays really wet and really moist so if those environmental techniques don't work there are fungicides Um, one that's good bonide makes a product infuse and Infuse is a systemic disease control product. So it's a drench systemic, meaning you put it on the ground, the roots take it up and it goes up through the entire plant. That's probably gonna be good for that soil, um, that fungicide to use Infuse and get rid of that Phytophthora. I know that's frustrating for you. So first good cultural practices, then using that and you're gonna be pretty well off. I'm so glad you called, Sue. Call back anytime. Welcome to Georgia. And everyone, I'm going to leave you with Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It Show coming up 9 to noon. Thanks for a great Saturday. I'll be back with my friend Joe Lample, host of Growing a Greener World, next Saturday right here on 95.5 WSB. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.